Real people, real opinions, real talk radio. The multi award winning Niall Boylan Show. Whether you know it or not, it is Menopause Awareness Month. And we often try to highlight menopause in this show since historically it is not a topic that's covered enough. And thankfully, that's changing. This weekend, there is a menopause summit out in Dunleary. And we recently had uh, someone on to tell us all about it. I think, you know, there's still tickets to get for that, actually, if you want to go along to it. Because it's always a great topic of interest. We decided tonight to invite an expert from across the pond to chat with us and share their expertise. Uh, Dr. Shazida Harper leads the Harper Clinic in London. And this is a dedicated menopause clinic. And she joins me on the line. Uh, Good evening to you. Hi, hello. And I, I'm absolutely me. sure I've mispronounced your name and I do apologise. <laughs> <laughs> Shazidi, yes. is it? it is Shazidi. It's, it's, it's Shazadi, Dr. Shazadi. Shazadi. Okay, yes. I do apologise. Almost um, right. Now, menopause is something we talk about on the show. Yeah. And the thing about it is, it's not just about women because it's about men too because every man has a woman in their eyes. Well, most men will have a woman in their lives. And they have to understand or have an understanding of menopause and why it happens, what happens, what to expect and what to let slide, if you know know what I mean. So I I suppose for all of us, you know, the menopause usually happens, what, between 45 and 53-ish, 54? When when, when is the the average age? I mean, uh, you're you're quite well informed there, yeah. And the average is 51, the average age of menopause. And menopause is when your periods are finally ended and that's because you know, your ovaries, which produce your female sex hormones, um, have started to decline in function. Um, and the hormones estrogen and progesterone and a third hormone, testosterone, but mainly estrogen and progesterone, start to decline. Your periods start to um, become more and more spaced out. You're no longer ovulating. It signifies the end of your reproductive life. Um, and you can say that you've gone through menopause when you've had 12 months without a period. And the reason why you get so many symptoms that we hear about, the typical ones being hot flushes and mood changes, but there are so, so many more, is Mm -hmm. because of that fluctuating level and decline of hormones. So it is very much a biochemical and physiological process that's going on in a woman's body. It's not just something she's making up in her head. Oh, I know. Um, I'm married to a 50-year-old woman. I I know exactly. So I'm kind of used to the symptoms. And I suppose we all have to be. And this comes, again, I say it for men and women. So normally they, you know, the earlier stages, I assume, is called perimenopause. This is where, I suppose, the periods stop first or start to become irregular. Yes. Yeah. So uh, perimenopause is that stage before menopause. And that can start sort of 10 years or so beforehand. So that could even start in your late 30s. You know, many women may have babies, you know, in their late 30s, early 40s and go straight into perimenopause. Um, and so, yes, very much so that that's when symptoms start and that is the stage before menopause. So, yeah, absolutely. Okay. So the first signs for a woman who's, say, 45 years of age and she mm. thinks she might be going to perimenopause, I suppose, are regular periods. But the other signs then would be, I suppose, everybody talks about the hot flashes or flushes. Some people yeah. call them flashes, some call them flushes. Yeah. But but is that does that happen to everybody or is that just a large percentage of women? It's a large percentage. About 60 to 70% of women have what we call vasomotor symptoms, which is um, hot flushes, hot flashes, night sweats. Um, and those are the ones that we typically associate. But also about 60% of women will get symptoms like joint pains, also things like anxiety, um, mood changes, 
because estrogen, the hormone estrogen is what we would call a neuromodulator, so it affects our brain function. You know, many women may experience things like brain fog, memory changes, to the point that sometimes they worry that they're getting, you know, early Alzheimer's or dementia. Um, and, you know, there are many other sort of changes as well that women notice to their metabolism, things like they, they're gaining weight, they're, they're gaining, you know, their waistline starts to expand. Um, also, um, things like vulvar vaginal changes, so vaginal dryness, loss of libido, loss of energy, feeling tired. Um, yeah, so, so, so are all know, these things are controlled by you know, those three main hormones, I suppose you mentioned, yes, progesterone, yes. estrogen, and testosterone. And yes. obviously men produce a lot more testosterone than women, but they do produce a small amount of testosterone too, which gives them their libido and that bit of energy in their life. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and the progesterone, I, I assume, is replaced usually if somebody has a coil in. So uh, let's, let's move on quickly, I suppose, to, to HRT, which for many women has been a lifesaver. There was information put out going back about 20 years ago, which scared a mm. lot of women and scared a lot of doctors for prescribing HRT. Yeah, but that information yeah. turned out to be uh, false. In other words, it turned out to be um, the, the way the research was done it was, was incorrect. Yeah. So we do now know, unless you already have breast cancer or you're susceptible to it, yeah. it's unlikely that there would be serious side effects to HRT. Yeah, I mean, hormone replacement therapy. Nowadays, we have much safer versions, what we call body identical, which are chemically similar to the, the natural hormones our body would produce. We have safer methods of um, prescribing them, you know, transdermal, i.e. through the skin for the slightly higher risk groups. And we know that, you know, prescribing, um, we, we know that the guidelines also say that, you know, for those symptoms, like those vasomotor symptoms, that actually um, HRT should be the first line of treatment. Again, similarly, for things like mood changes that occur during the perimenopause and menopause um, and transition, that actually HRT should be the first line of um, treatment unless it's contraindicated. So yes, very much, you know, we now know the evidence, the science behind it is that on the whole, for most women, the benefits of HRT outweigh the negatives. And it's also going to have longer term benefits like helping to reduce risks of fractures, like for example, osteoporosis, we know it can be um, positive towards uh, metabolism and heart health and brain health. So I think it's important to recognize that, you know, for most women, there are m many more benefits when it comes to hormone replacement therapy than negative. But we, and we have to weigh up each woman's individual risks versus her benefits. Okay. The other thing as well is there was research in the paper today over here in relation to relationships and how something like 60% yes. of relationships were yeah. badly affected by women in their menopause. And also, yeah. by the way, coincidentally, uh, more women will ask for a divorce than men, and it's usually around mm. the age of menopause. Now, maybe yes. that's just how they go through a midlife crisis, apart from anything else. But in saying that, it can have a devastating effect on a relationship because of the loss of libido or because of mood swings, as you mentioned earlier on. Yeah. So, you know, we all have to have a level of understanding, I suppose, that, that sometimes your wife or your partner may be slightly irrational in her thoughts and moods. Yeah, well, well, very much it affects, you know, it has a ripple effect on relationships. And as you just said, we know that the highest percentage of divorces are in that 45 to 54-year-old age group, as is depression. Um, and, and, and so we know that it has, I mean, I often call it double pause or couple pause. Because it very much affects those people around you, your, your, you know, your your husband, your partner, and also you know working relationships. So it has a huge impact, and it's important for partners, uh, you know, and and for the men in the life in their lives to understand that that there is a chemical process going on. To be patient, be understanding, and also for them to educate themselves um, and become aware of what's going on. 
um, mm. and, and work through this together. In relation to the HRT, now every woman is different, but there, there seems to be an issue, and I remember speaking to Dr. Creva Hartley, who's an expert here in Ireland, going back some years ago, mm. and she told me that doctors, many doctors, are not really trained. Now, that's no reflection on them to understand menopause or deal with menopause and you would have a woman going to a doctor presenting with many symptoms except for maybe hot flushes and saying I think I'm menopause and the doctor said no I think you might be just depressed and putting him on something else and maybe this is the kind of last resort to actually admit that somebody might be in the menopause should women go to a menopause specialist or a doctor who is a menopause specialist rather than just going to their regular GP um, I think I think you know one of the things is always I would say go to your, your to your GP or your healthcare professional. There may be a practice nurse within the in your practice which may have a little bit more awareness. But you know I think one of the things is that so I'm a menopause specialist and what I love about it is I have more time to spend with each woman. You need to go through layer by layer her symptoms, the impact on on her her relationships, her work, you know her family, all of those aspects. You know to have a whole 360 approach. So sometimes I think. It is more beneficial to go towards a menopause specialist because you'll have more time, somebody who does this day in, day out, who has that awareness um, and can give you a more tailored approach for your particular needs. But, you know, not everybody can access, I suppose, um, a menopause specialist and um, you know, or, or they have to go private for it. And so maybe at least going to reach out to your doctor and maybe going for a second opinion in your practice if you feel that, you know, the, your, your doctor isn't giving you the right advice initially you know don't give up i mean i often say to women don't suffer in silence um you know this is not going on in your head you know do seek out help because there are lots of help that you can get out there um you know one of the things is also on things like social media you know a lot of us are talking about menopause and perimenopause there's a lot of awareness out there um i've written a book it was kind of also sorry for interrupting but there was there was yes. kind of almost a stigma at one stage. It was like, for example, that nobody yeah. mentioned the word period on the radio or, or yeah. on TV. But menopause was a kind of similar thing. It was kind of like the unspoken thing that woman goes through. You know, you let's not talk yeah. about that. It's a bit embarrassing. But now I find people are very open and talking about it and talking yeah. about, well, I'm doing this and I'm trying out this and I'm doing yeah. how many how many squirts of that are you doing on your body a day yeah. and is it working right, for you? And, you? You know, you, all au fait with, you know, all the gels and the, and, and the creams and things like that. So, yeah, I think many, I think this, the openness, you know, changing that narrative, talking about it, communicating, you know, be, women sharing their stories actually is, is a really good thing. And, and, you know, I even hear, I mean, I, I've had sometimes women come along because their husbands and partners have, you know, found an article or read something and suggested, look, you know, there, there, there is a sort of light at the end of the tunnel or you can seek help. So I think, you know, it's very much becoming more mainstream. And this is what we want. We want it to mm. be normalized. We want to have that conversation. Um, and yeah. also, you know, we want women, you know, we want women to thrive. We want relationships to thrive. Um, you know, sex lives shouldn't be over when you hit 50. Um, you know, mm. there, there's a whole lot of living to do afterwards. So I think um, very much so that, you know, we're by, by talking about it like yourself, you know, um, and we're changing that narrative and we're, you know, breaking down that stigma and taboo. Okay, in relation to the HRT, now, mm. I'm assuming if a woman already has the marina coil, she doesn't need the progesterone, although there has been suggestions that if your coil is a certain, you know, depending on the age of your coil, that maybe you should have that looked at. So is, is there a case of ever needing to take progesterone with the oestrogen if you're already on the coil? Yeah, so the marina coil is an uterine device which has 
a progestogen on it. And the main reason we give the progestogen as part of HRT is to prevent the womb lining from over-thickening. So estrogen is what we call the hero hormone. But one of the things it does, it causes the womb lining to thicken. And if we don't manage that, then it puts a woman at a higher risk of womb cancer. So that's why you need the progestogen. But natural progesterone does come with its own benefit. It has that calming um, effect. It helps with sleep. So sometimes some women may still need some progesterone, natural progesterone, alongside their estrogen gel or their patch um, or their or, or their tablet. Mm. So again, it goes back to each individual woman. But the primary reason that we give the progesterone initially is to prevent the womb lining from thickening. However, natural progesterone does have some of its own benefits. And sometimes I do prescribe that alongside a Mirena coil for some women. Okay, uh, so in other words, don't always take it for granted that the coil is going to do the work. Yeah. Maybe get yeah. when you get your levels checked. I'm assuming yeah. you can get those le- those levels checked. In yeah. relation to the estrogen, um, there's many different ways of getting that. You can get, as you mentioned, mm. the gel or the patch, or and I'm well the used spray, to hearing all this. By the way, the my spray, wife, my wife, yeah, yeah, she tells me she rubs it on her arm once a day and all yeah. this kind of stuff. So, is which is the better method? Is it the tablet, but but it's not recommended for long term use because of limber damage, or is the gel better, or does the gel not work for some people, or which one is the probably the best method of transmission? So, so ideally, I suppose, um, you know, I suppose that the lowest risk way would be to put it through the skin, whether that is a gel a spray or a patch, um, and also from the point of view of, you know, um, breast cancer risk, you know, that's also the lowest. But, but not all tablets are the same. There's some a body identical tablet that's out there now called Bijuve, which is um, body identical estrogen with progesterone. When you take estrogen through an oral route, the, there is a slightly higher risk of what we call blood clots, VTE risk, because it gets broken down and processed in the liver. But that doesn't mean to say it should be ruled out for every woman. You know, it's better that a woman takes um, some form of HRT if she's got symptoms, and we balance the, the risk versus the benefit. And actually, it's a very, very, very slight increased risk in what we call blood clots compared to, you know, if you if and when you ever took the contraceptive pill. And I was just going to say that we focus very much on the negatives yeah. and the side effects. Yeah. When we think about it, everything, including paracetamol, has yeah. a possible side effect. So you have to look at the, 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 the pros outweighing the cons here. And if you're a fit, healthy woman who's a normal body weight, who's a non-smoker, then there's very little risk. However, if you happen to be a woman who's overweight, who's a smoker, then I wouldn't choose to put you on an oral version of estrogen. I'd rather put you on the patch or the gel or the spray, you know, something that goes through the skin and bypasses the liver. So, so mm-hmm. you know, I'm not anti-tablets at all. It just very much depends on which woman. You know, and some women, you know, who may have young children may not want to be rubbing on the gel and then thinking, I've got to wash my hands and I've got to avoid making sure that my child doesn't touch me or, or you know, where I've rubbed my gel in or anything like that. Or so, so, you know, it can be very much, you know, about her lifestyle, you know, what fits in and what she's going to, what, what fit, what fit lifestyle and what she's going to be compliant with. And how long, when a woman starts to take the HRT, so like she's in yeah. the throes of symptoms, she's getting the aches and the pains, she's getting the anxiety, she's getting the depression, the mood swings yeah. and the hot flashes, and the doctor recommends this, how long does it take to kick in, so to speak? You, you know, for some women, it can be a matter of days. Um, usually I say, you know, at least within two weeks, you should notice a difference after four weeks more. And then, then you know, it can build up. I would give it each form of HRT three months before we change to a different form. And you ask the question, you know, what, why would somebody maybe change from a gel to a patch? 
sometimes, you know, because we're all different as women, you know, some women may not absorb the gel as well. They may not be rubbing it in properly. Some women may change her over to a patch, you know, or, or, or a different version of HRT at a later point. But I'd always give it three months. But usually women notice a difference pretty quickly in symptoms, particularly symptoms like hot flushes, sweats, sleep. Mm. And okay, so let's let's get on to the I suppose the golden fleece of the whole thing. Davina McCall made a huge difference going back a couple of years. I think it was last year actually when she yeah, put up a post yeah. in relation to testosterone, which seemingly like there was like there was a six hundred percent increase in the demand for testosterone after she mm. did that. But here's the thing: if men needed something, we would research it, we would have it licensed, and we it would yeah. be on the market within a year. Yet we're still using testosterone for women off license. Um, yes. In other words, it's only been licensed for men. By, yes. the, by the FDA and everybody else. So why are we at a point now where testosterone, which does help women, particularly in relation mm. to libido and energy, why are we yeah. at a point where we're still saying, oh, we can't really give you that, and you know, and doctors are slow to recommend it, and you know, and from what I've spoken to women in relation to this, you know, those rare side effects that happen just don't happen too often. In other words, yeah, again, do. the benefits outweigh the cons. Why are we so slow? I think, I think the problem is it goes back to gender health inequalities and just gender inequality, actually. You know, you, you know, the fact is, why is it that women's health, and especially midlife health and beyond, why has there not been investment in research? You know, um, and, and why is it that we don't know more? You know, we, do, we don't have the clinical trials sort of to back up that research. And yet the National Institute of Clinical Excellence, you know, it does state very clearly in it that, you know, testosterone, um, should be prescribed with, for women with low libido, you know, once they've gone on to um, estrogen and progesterone HRT. So it is very, very unfortunate. And I think, it, again, it goes back to gender bias, um, health inequality, that we don't have the research to back it. And hopefully moving forward in the future, we will. And the reason I think that doctors are reluctant to prescribe it themselves is because it's off-license. It means that when a doctor is prescribing something which is off-license, they are taking on that responsibility for prescribing it. And unfortunately, you know, we do live in litigious times. You know, doctors mm -hmm. sometimes do practice defensively. So that is one of the reasons why, you know, they don't want to take on board that risk because it's, um, because it's not licensed. Okay, so basically they're taking, they're personally, well, not personally, obviously, but their their business or their practice yes. is taking yeah. that risk. Yeah. So if anything does go wrong. But I'm assuming yeah. once you inform a woman beforehand and just say, look, if you overuse it, if you take the wrong dose, you know, if you start lashing it on yourself, there's a likelihood you could get some of these symptoms. But I, um, ideally, you're meant to have a blood test done before you mm -hmm. go on to testosterone. That's what the guidelines are. And the reason is not to measure how low your levels is, is to ensure that you don't already have physiologically too high a level so you can start um you can start um, um prescribing it or you can prescribe it in a safe dose knowing that, that she has not already got um, a level which is too high to start at and and so you start off on a very low dose you know what the um, pre-treatment levels are and the side effects are things like um you know the things that we, people worry about going on to testosterone like having getting growing hair in you know, like a moustache or, or beard or deep voice um, or, or getting things like, you know, hair thinning um, or, or even what we call clitoromegaly, you know, enlargement of the clitoris are very, very, very rare because, you know, we've measured the levels beforehand and we know that the levels aren't already too high to start the treatment and we're not going in at a super high dose. So, you know, most women shouldn't get any side effects. Sometimes the side effects they do get is 
maybe a little bit of excess hair growth, maybe some some spots or greasy skin when they first start out. Um, but they shouldn't be getting more of those major side effects like thinning hair or you know a deep voice or you know a really a lot of um, you know sort of excess body hair and uh, um, and things like sort of um, clitoromegaly. So things like that shouldn't happen if we are prescribing safely and we've done blood tests beforehand. Yeah, because of course you're not giving women the same dose that would be given to no, say a man who's gone through the andropause. You would be giving no. a much lower dose. Very yeah, very much lower. Yes. Okay, I've, I've loads of questions, by the way, coming in here. If you're interested in answering one or two of them just before we finish up with you, and I want to talk about your book as well. Uh, my wife is like a different person. Our relationship has totally changed. I don't know what to do. Yeah. Uh, what does she recommend? <laughs> okay, I think what he's trying to suggest is that his wife has completely changed because she's gone through the menopause. And here's the yeah. thing. Do many women go through denial where they just don't want to admit it? I, I think some women, um, you, you know, because of what we've been told before in the past, think oh this can't possibly be happening to me I'm too young so there are a lot of menopause deniers or they you know some of the symptoms have come on quite sort of insidiously and they haven't noticed those changes that other people around them may have noticed you know I've had women say to me that you know my children tell me I'm not fun anymore you know um, and, and sometimes won't realize I've been miserable for five years um, so so I think I think sometimes these symptoms come on sometimes they put it down to life um, sometimes they think they're too young. So yes, they can be in denial and it can be hard for partners, you know, to, to say, look, I, I don't think, you know, I think things have changed. But many women also come in and say to me things like, I just don't feel like me anymore. You know, I've lost my mm. identity. So, so you know, it, it, it could be either or. Um, but, but what he's just said that his wife isn't like herself, maybe she recognizes it too, because many women say that to me. I just don't, like myself anymore or they even say look if i was married to myself i'd have divorced myself because i think i'm not a very nice person yeah so i, I think for him communication is the key here sit down yes. and talk to your wife and maybe discuss it's a possibility don't be afraid to say yeah, it yeah. yeah particularly if she's at that age uh somebody else says my mother started menopause very early 38 i'm 36 and i don't have kids yet is there anything that she can recommend okay so what i think she's essentially asking is just because this kind of maybe that's a myth because your mother went into menopause early and um, you go into menopause early and also the other myth is if you start your periods very young do you go into menopause very young so so if you uh, if your family member your mother your grandmother went through an earlier menopause there can be a genetic predisposition so you may be at a higher risk of going through an earlier menopause also funny enough if if you don't have any children you know that can also make you go through a slightly earlier menopause as well so these are things to be aware of um it is a bit of a myth that if you go through an earlier period that you'll go through an earlier menopause that bit i will you know sort of say no to but the the mum going through an earlier menopause potentially yes you know it may run in families mm -hmm. Okay, somebody says, I'm 48 years of age and I've totally lost all my sex drive. I'm devastated. Someone has recommended yeah. maca powder. Is this, uh, is this my life now? Okay, so I've, I've heard of maca powder before being recommended. Yeah, it's a root, yeah. I think, isn't it? It is. It is a root, you know, and, and you know, historically it has meant to help a little bit with energy and with libido. 
The other thing I just want to sort of say when it comes to libido is that there are also physical changes sometimes women experience, like vaginal dryness and having some local vaginal estrogen, which is safe for most women, even those who've had breast cancer, can be uh, you know, a godsend, can be a, uh, you know, a game changer, especially if sex is painful and uncomfortable. Um, and you know, what I will say to some women you know, who, are, who are feeling that, is this as good as it's going to get? Is No, you know, there, are help, there is help, there is treatment out there. It is possible to get your libido back. Or, um, and and you know, I, I wouldn't give up. I would really definitely go and seek some help. And, um, and um, you, you, know, um, you know, life's not over. I, you know, this is something I really, really want to share with women. Um, that things can get better. Speaking of that, somebody's just texted and said, I'm nine years going through this. When will it stop? So, uh, yeah. okay, so so is there, is there an end to menopause or is it just a fact of life that you're always going to have to be on HRT or hormone replacement therapy? So is there an end to menopause? So, so, so you know, when women go on to hormone replacement therapy, you know, often I ask, well, is it for five years? Is it for 10 years? For how long? There's no reason to come off it. You know, we know that women feel much better on it. There are lots of positive health benefits for for being on it. You know, one may just need to have your dose tweaked and changed as we get older. Yes, there is an element of aging and acceptance of that. However, you know, um, you can feel much, much better and have a strong sense of well-being and positivity, you know, um, through to your 80s and 90s. You know, and I have some patients who are in their 80s who are on HRT who would never want to give it up because it gives them that sense of vitality and energy. So I would I would say if someone said, well, should I come off it? I'd say, why do you want to come off it? Um, unless there's a medical reason to come off it, then all I would do is tone down the dose you know, and say to you, to say to her, look, there are lots more benefits to continuing on it um, on the longer term, um, and let's just monitor. Just let's just keep you fit and healthy. Mm. Um, why come off it? Okay, so he says, not hi. Can you ask the doctor? I'm in my 60s. Is it too late to go on HRT? I'm still getting hot flushes, and I'm always tired. Uh, well, I suppose the hot flushes and the tiredness can be two different things. One could be testosterone, I suppose, and one could be estrogen. But, I mean, yeah. is it too late to go on the HRT at that stage? No, it's not, I'm, sure, I'm assuming. No, no. So I would say no. The guidelines are, are very much that, you know, within 10 years of your menopause, under the age of 60. But, you know, on again, going back to individual cases, anybody over the age of 60 is just sitting down, weighing up the benefits versus the risk. You know, as, as I said, as we get older, you know, um, there are increasing risks just in general because of the aging process and we have to weigh it up you know with your general health and putting you on hrt so i would never say never um i would just say it's all about sort of sitting down and individualizing and tailoring to you mm. um somebody says um can you ask how does it work if you get a hysterectomy while you're uh, while you are menopause like what's the outcome of hormonal whatever that means okay i, I think what the person means is if you have a hysterectomy, I'm assuming that puts you into early menopause. Well, it depends. If you if you if you have your ovaries taken out, then that means that plunges you into what we call the surgical menopause. If you just have a hysterectomy, which is having your womb removed, it may accelerate the process a little bit for you to get to menopause because of the trauma of having major surgery. But going back to what you had asked me earlier about HRT and, and progesterone and you know whether we need it or not, technically, if a woman has her womb removed, she doesn't need to have the progesterone or progestogen component of the HRT because we're no longer, um, um, you know, cells, um, womb cells out, you know, sort of um, before from the point of view of sleep, you know, just from the benefits of natural progesterone, 
sometimes that can still help women even if they don't have a womb. So technically, a woman who's had a hysterectomy doesn't need to have a progestogen component of her HRT. Well, look, it's but been she can still so... have the estrogen, she can still have the testosterone. It's been so interesting talking to you. And by the way, I know you have a book out, but you need to tell me about it yourself because it's not in my notes. <laughs> so you, yeah, so you, I do apologise. So you do have no, a book, no, don't no. you? Yeah, no, it's called The Perimenopause Solution. Um, and it's really just to help women to raise awareness, you know, at an earlier stage. But it really is a guidebook for perimenopause, menopause and postmenopause. And it's available from Amazon. And um, I really do hope that this has helped a lot of women just chatting through this. And I have to say, you've been amazing, you know, the, you, uh, in, in the sense that, knowing all of you know one of the sort of fewer men that i've come across who seems to know um just as much as i do i think i i don't think i go into the business myself if anybody wants to make an appointment <laughs> with me what was it somebody funnily said to me many years ago i'm not a gynecologist but i'll have a good look at it for you um, uh, so <laughs> the perimenopausal solution is the name of the book it's available on amazon uh, dr shazadi harper listen thank you very much indeed and i thank appreciate you. you coming on the air thank you uh, right, don't don't forget, care. by the way, thank you. Don't forget, by the way, there are tickets, as, as far as I know, still available. And they're available for the, uh, this is the Menopause, uh, where's it? Oh, the Summit, which is out on out in Dunleary. If you do quick do Google search for it, I'm sure you'll find it. Okay, so there are tickets still available for that if people are very interested. There'll be some speakers, and think, actually, Griva Hartley will be there, who's one of the senior, um, I suppose, people involved in menopause in Ireland, and she knows quite a lot about it. And I have to say, listening to Shazidi Harper there, it's quite clear she knows an awful lot about it. Again, I will recommend, and I've said it in the past, that if your doctor, you feel your doctor is not taking you seriously enough, or you feel your doctor is not recommending everything that they should be recommending based on what other people have been recommended and making them feel better, and you think you can do better, get a second opinion. Always get a second opinion. You may be going to a doctor who doesn't know a lot about menopause, and that's no harm to them because, they, you know, when you're a GP, you can't learn about every single thing or every facet of the human body. There is so much to learn, particularly when it comes to women's bodies. Women's bodies are a lot more complicated than men's. Well, at least we like to think so anyway. Um, and by the way, can I mention too, because we did mention this a few weeks ago, and I don't want to be ignorant of this, you know, there is a male menopause too. It's called an andropause. It's not quite the same thing, but it does mean that men, as they get older, their hormone levels drop. And if you feel, as a man, for example, that your libido is dropping or that your energy levels are dropping or that you're in a bad mood all the time or you're having mood swings and mood changes, it's exactly the same thing. We just have slightly different hormones and different levels. Go to your doctor, have a blood test. But when you go for the blood test, you must request that they test you and test your hormone levels, including your testosterone levels, et cetera, et cetera. And indeed... If your testosterone levels are low, or indeed any of your levels are low, they can also prescribe HRT for you too. So it's not just a female thing, although obviously we talk about it more in relation to female because it has a much bigger effect on women than it does on men. So it's important that we all do what we can to live the rest of our lives happily. Because here's the thing, if you're a man or a woman, particularly a woman going through menopause, and you're suffering badly... You have mood swings, you're tired all the time, your bones are aching, you're getting the odd hot flush every now and again, feeling really warm, you've lost all your libido, which is affecting your relationship and all those guys. There is no need to suffer in silence. There's nothing, there's no reason to be a hero or a martyr for the cause. You don't have to do that. That's what they did 40 years ago. And that's why 40 years ago, when you looked at women at the age of 60, they were all crumpled up and they were all old and they'd had their babies and they were ready for the scrap heap. But there's no reason for that anymore. Science has come on so much. And I know so many people out there, particularly women, are worried about the research that was done many years ago in relation to HRT that it caused breast cancer. It doesn't. 
That's not that research. They've proved, they've debunked all of that research. There was like a 10-year period there where doctors and people were afraid to take HRT. But they've all been debunked now. They've done so much research. And it's probably been researched more than anything else, all this medication. And they've debunked it. Unless you were, um, I suppose, one of those people who are predisposed to breast cancer. Maybe your mother had it or, or it's in the family. Well, then a doctor would be cautious about being, about prescribing it. Because there's a very low, tiny, tiny low chance that it could accelerate it. And what they've found is in the research, it doesn't cause breast cancer. But what it does is if you're already predisposed to breast cancer, it can accelerate that process. So in other words, it doesn't cause breast cancer. And that was the fear going back 30 years ago when they first brought out this research, which turned out to be incorrect. So what I'm saying is it's only if you're predisposed to it, and that's what you need to check with your doctor if you are predisposed to it, that the doctor may put you on a lower dose or recommend something different altogether. But please go to your doctor and don't suffer in silence. Now, oh, sorry, I have to read out a text, have I? Um, where is it? Oh, okay, I'm, I was told to read out a text here. Hang on, I'll find it now. Hang on. All right. Um, hi, Nal. My wife has been going through perimenopause for three or four years. She did nothing about it to treat it. She had a mental breakdown late last year. She thinks she had a spiritual awakening. She fell out with all her family and friends and turned on me and said that she wants to separate uh, so that she can be with her soulmate who she works with. She doesn't care who she's hurting, me or our children, her own parents, etc. Is there any hope of getting her back to normal someday or should I just give her a divorce that she wants? Um, you know, there's nothing you can do, unfortunately, and I hate to be the bearer of bad news. She's the one that has to make that decision. And, you know, and apart from menopause, when a woman gets to that age, just like men, by the way, when we get to what they, they used to call the midlife crisis, people do change. Um, and that can seem irrational sometimes. Somebody who loved you all of a sudden doesn't love you anymore. Somebody who would never have lied to you all of a sudden starts to lie to you. Somebody who had never had an affair or cheated on you will all of a sudden do those things. Um, because life has changed for them. And... I would like to say to you that you could fix it, but you can't, unfortunately. You can't fix you can't fix anybody. They must want to fix themselves. So all I could do is, you know, if you're still friends with that individual, is maybe recommend, you know, that if they're not on HRT or that they talk to somebody, but do it in a friendly, compassionate way. I wouldn't do it in a way like, I think you're mad, you know, and you need to do something about it, but do it in a compassionate kind of way. But unfortunately, um, judging by your story, I think you're past that point. So I don't think there's any repairing it. And I hate to be the bearer of bad news. But then again, I could be wrong. That's all I'll say. But again, please don't suffer in silence. Um, because it is something. That, and there's no need. And by the way, the HRT is not a cure for menopause. Somebody said, not will it take away all the symptoms. I'm not a doctor. And I probably should have asked uh, Shazadi Harper that one. But in saying that, no is probably the answer. But it does reduce the possibility of all those symptoms getting worse because they can get worse, and it can reverse some of the symptoms, i.e. the aches, the pains, the tiredness. Some of those can go away. And, you know, I've, there's a couple of texts there for people saying, I took HRT and it didn't work for me. It may not work for everybody. And if it doesn't work for you, go back to your doctor, and they may want to change the dosage. They may want to up the dosage, maybe give you two rubs of the gel instead of one rubs of the gel or whatever. They may want to up the dose. You might be absorbing it differently to other people. So, And again, they do that, as, as Shazadi pointed out, by taking a blood test, maybe, you know, three months in or whatever it is to check those markers again to make sure that you're on the right levels to make you feel good. But it's really important that we all feel good 
because we only have one life. Enjoy it and don't be suffering with something you don't have to be suffering. Real people, real opinions, real talk radio, the multi-award winning Niall Boylan show.